more than likely, you know, uh, the more experience you have, the more innovative ideas you have, you probably have the answers and solutions to a lot. You have a lot more uh, IP uh, that you want to share. That's one of the reasons you're at the top of the food chain. So yeah, it can it can actually be uh, a very big challenge to be able to sit back and listen. And I love the way that, that you just described that, that 70-30 rule and, and constantly recalibrating that uh, would almost be akin to... Welcome to Innovation and Leadership, where I interview uncommonly high achievers like top investment fund managers, elite special operations soldiers, startup CEOs who sold their companies for billions of dollars, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, really as many different kinds of experts as I can. The whole idea is to hear how they did it and then what advice they have for the rest of us that can be applied to the organizations we're trying to grow and innovate. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's show. Today on the show, we've got author and speaker, Alan Stein Jr. Alan, thanks for making time. Oh, thank you. So um, for people that don't know about 20 years of, of coaching some of the best basketball players in the world and the Kev Kevin Durant stories and Kobe Bryant stories and all these things that you have. Can you give people just, just the quickest, what you did for 20 years and what you're doing now? Sure. For 20 years, I, I was a basketball performance coach. So I was ultimately a strength and conditioning coach trying to help players and teams improve their athleticism. Uh, and then a few years ago, I decided to take everything that I'd learned from the game, uh, some of the best players and coaches in the world, and now I, I show businesses how to apply those exact same uh, principles and strategies and you, your uh, your client list is pretty impressive here with names like starbucks and pepsi and i saw on your facebook you're going to speak to uh, amazon um what's it been like for you transitioning worlds you know it, it's been a lot of fun i mean one of the reasons i left the space was i was looking for a new challenge you know I, i've always been just fascinated and enamored with the concepts of authentic leadership and genuine team cohesion and how you build cultures uh, and really was excited about the challenge of taking everything that I had learned on the court and learning how to uh, apply that and translate that to business. And it's been a really fun journey. Um, you know, these principles of what it takes to be an elite basketball player or to have an, a championship team, uh, those principles have very high utility and they can be applied to any area of our life, not even just business, but you know, many of the the tenets of effective leadership, you know, I use as a as a father of three children. Sure, you know, um, uh, we at our firm have some guys who are from the the tier one level of the special ops. Um, uh huh. And uh, sometimes I think like, are people going to struggle to translate this? Are going to think like? Yeah, this guy sounds like an action figure, you know, movie star, you know, like kind of guys they make movies about. Um, but how is this going to apply to work? When you when you think about the stories of basketball, what do you think it is? I mean, obviously, there's a little bit of a sizzle factor when you're talking about, you know, stories with Kobe Bryant or Kevin Durant or these people. And so it just makes it more more interesting to hear yep. the true principles that apply no matter what f field you're in. Right. But um, when you think about why you're message has resonated the way it is. What do you think it is that people are connecting with in the corporate world? Well, what you just said is, is so insightful because ultimately that's my job. It's my job to connect the dots and make sure that, that anyone that I work with, uh, whether it's a keynote or a workshop or a training, uh, or even someone that just read my book, it's my job to make sure that I paint that picture uh, with as much clarity as possible. Uh, I don't want any ambiguity. I don't want anyone sitting there going, okay, that was a cool story about Kobe, 
but I don't understand how that applies to me. Uh, so ultimately, my job is to make sure that that is crystal clear. Uh, now, certainly when I'm uh, speaking to someone uh, that has played sports, that has experienced some of these things, uh, that's much easier for me to do, to connect those dots, because they, they get it. Uh, it's more of a challenge for someone that hasn't been on a team, uh, a sports team, or hasn't played basketball, or isn't familiar with some of those players. It just makes my job a little bit more challenging. Uh, but I actually embrace that. And, you know, uh, I only tell stories during my talks for one reason, and that's because I believe stories are sticky. Uh, I believe that, that we remember stories because they're more experiential. So when I'm done a story and then I share the lesson, then the third step to that is I explain to them as if I was explaining it to my own children who are very young, this is how it applies to you. Um, and sometimes even more granular than that, you know, if someone's in sales, this is how this strategy applies to sales, or this is how this strategy applies to leadership because you're a manager or a director or a supervisor, or here's how it applies. So I, I make sure uh, that there's absolutely no ambiguity. And when I can do that, then it's crystal clear to them why these principles have such high utility. So uh, someone doesn't have to like basketball, watch basketball, or even care about basketball to be able to learn the principles and strategies and lessons from basketball. Yeah, you know, um, I'm just thinking about some of those stories. Like, so we get a lot of uh, requests of people wanting to be on the show, and we kind of turn down 95% of them. We're usually out looking for the people that we want to hear from. But uh, when, when uh, we heard from your PR people, I just clicked over and, and went to watch one of your videos. And the very first one, you had uh, the story of the Kobe Bryant basketball camp. And that's all I need. I was like, okay. Yeah, we want this guy. Can, awesome. do, you, do you mind sharing a bit of that one with people here? No, I don't mind a bit. You know, it's uh, it's funny that it's it's been already uh, over a decade. But back in 2007, uh, Nike actually flew me out to Los Angeles to work the first ever Kobe Bryant Skills Academy. Uh, Nike was being very prolific and innovative, and they were trying to create uh, a series of skills academies that would focus on teaching the fundamentals of the game. But they wanted to do so do so through the lens of their signature players. And, you know, for any of your listeners that don't follow basketball, uh, it's important they know that in 2007, you know, it'd be hard to argue that Kobe wasn't the best in the game. Uh, Michael Jordan, who pretty much everyone's heard of, uh, had already retired a couple times at that point. And LeBron James and all of his greatness, he was still climbing that mountain. So, you know, really in 2007, Kobe was the marquee player. And Nike decided to bring in the top high school and college players from all around the country for this intense three-day minicamp with Kobe. And, and I was very fortunate to get the call to work as the uh, camp strength and conditioning coach. And, you know, I'd always heard this urban legend since I've grown up in the basketball world. I'd already uh, always heard this urban legend of how insanely intense Kobe's individual workouts were. And as a performance coach, I mean, this is something I really wanted to be able to see firsthand. Uh, so as soon as I met him, I asked if I could watch one of his workouts. And he was really gracious and said, sure, man, that's no problem. I'm, I'm going tomorrow at four. And I got a little bit confused because uh, I had just got done looking through the camp schedule and the camp schedule said that the first workout with the players was the following day at 3.30. And I think Kobe recognized that confused look on my face because he quickly clarified that by letting me know that was going to be 4 a.m. Well, as you and your listeners know, there's not really a legitimate excuse on why we can't be somewhere at four in the morning, at least not an excuse that a guy like Kobe Bryant's going to take. So uh, I had all but committed myself to being there. And, 
you know, I, I figured if I was going to be there anyway, I may as well use this opportunity to show Kobe how serious of a trainer I was, to, to really leave my mark and make an impression. Uh, so I came up with a plan to beat him to the gym. Uh, so I set my alarm for 3 a.m. Uh, the alarm goes off. I jump up. I, I quickly get myself together. I hop in a cab, and I get to the gym. And I, I get out of the cab. Now, mind you, it's 3.30 in the morning, so it is pitch black outside. And yet the moment I step out of the cab, I can already see that the gym light's on. Uh, even from the parking lot, I could faintly hear a ball bouncing and sneakers squeaking. And I walk in the side door of the gym, and Kobe's already in a full sweat. Uh, he was going through a, a, an intense warm-up before his scheduled workout with his trainer started at 4. Now, out of professional courtesy, I didn't say anything to him. I just, I just sat down to watch. And, you know, for the first 45 minutes, I was actually shocked. For the first 45 minutes, I watched the best player in the world do the most basic footwork and offensive moves. You know, Kobe was doing stuff that I had routinely taught to middle school age players. Now, of course, this is Kobe Bryant, the best player in the world. So he was doing everything uh, at an unparalleled level of effort, and he was doing everything with surgical precision. But the actual drills he was doing uh, were very, very basic. And his whole workout lasted a couple hours. And uh, when it was over, once again, I, I chose not to say anything uh, to him or his trainer. I just quietly left. Uh, but my curiosity got the best of me. Later that day, I had to know. So I went up to him again and, and said, Kobe, I don't get it. You're the best player in the world. Why are you doing such basic drills? And once again, he was very gracious and smiled, but then said with all seriousness, why do you think I'm the best player in the world? Because I never get bored with the basics. And that message of never getting bored with the basics uh, has stuck with me uh, for these past 12 years. And, and what it really taught me was just because something's basic, it doesn't mean that it's easy. People often use those as synonyms. They often use those words interchangeably, and they're not. Uh, the, the principles of what it takes to improve performance, uh, to improve success, um, are very, very basic. But as anyone will tell you, actually implementing those things every single day of your life with consistency and with effort and with focus is anything but easy. Uh, but it's important that we make that distinction because I do believe that a lot of people overcomplicate things. And they spend so much time trying to chase what's hot and flashy and sexy instead of laying the foundation that they need with the basics. And uh, this is one that can apply to any area. You know, in basketball, the basics are footwork because every single thing a player does on the court starts at their feet. Uh, but then one of the first things that I do when I'm working with a group is get them to get clarity on what are the basics of what they're trying to improve. You know, what are the basics of their business? What are the basics of their leadership role? What are the basics of sales? And then we can really start to dig deep uh, and unpack. Yeah, you know, um, I, I'm interested, you know, you've got your book out, Raise Your Game, uh, you speak all over. I'm interested, as you've reflected on that experience, you know, over the last decade, um, how it's maybe meant to you different things how it's meant different things to you over that time or, or if there's been additional thoughts about it that have come to you by the nature of, of telling an impressive story like that repeatedly and, and how it probably sinks in for you more than anyone who gets to hear it. Oh, most certainly. I mean, it's, it's, the, it's the number one recalibrating tool that I use myself. You know, anytime things in my life, personally or professionally, uh, start getting a little out of focus uh, or I don't feel like I'm, I'm getting the results 
that I deserve or I, I don't feel like my performance is where it needs to be, uh, I do a quick recalibration and self-reflection, and it's usually because I'm not giving the basics, and I'm saying that in air quotes even though we're on an audio show, uh, I'm not giving those uh, the, the attention that they deserve. I'm usually distracted um, by something else, and I have to get back to that. Uh, you know, it's funny, even though I spent my, my life in basketball, I have a very strong appreciation for all sports. And this inevitably happens every single NFL season. Uh, every single NFL season, uh, inevitably there's a team that loses two or three games in a row. And the head coach comes on in the press conference after the game and says something to the effect of, when we get back to practice on Monday, uh, we're gonna we got to get back to the basics. We we got to get back to the fundamentals, <laughs> which in which in football is you know blocking and tackling. Um, and the reason I, I I think that's funny. This is not because I think I'm a a smarter coach or a better leader than an NFL head coach. Those guys are geniuses. I just laugh because their solution to the problem is to get back to the basics and back to the fundamentals, which of course leads to the question of. Why did you ever leave them in the first place? If you believe the fundamentals are going to solve your problem, then don't leave them in the first place and you won't have that problem. Uh, and the best coaches I've been around, uh, they have working on the fundamentals of their sport carved into every single practice, every single film session, everything they do. There's a component that makes sure they're working on those basic fundamentals, the blocking and tackling of football, the footwork of basketball. Uh, to make sure that that's never going to be an issue. And when I work with groups, you know, uh, I get them to start generating a list of, you know, what are the basic components of effective leadership? Uh, or if I'm working with a sales team, what are the basic components of sales? And, you know, let's just use sales as an example. You know, they'll start to say things like, well, you know, we're really not here to sell anything. We're here to solve a problem. So what we need to do is make sure that we're a good fit for the prospect. And then I say, okay, well, how do you figure out if you're a good fit for a prospect? They say, well, we have to ask them questions. You know, we have to, to get to know them and find out where their pain points are, what their challenges are, uh, and ask them insightful questions to see if they are a good fit. And I say, okay, I like where this is headed. So then is it fair to say that active listening is one of the basic pillars of being good in sales? And, and people agree, yeah, being a good listener is very important to sales. Okay, well, what are you doing to practice the skill of active listening? You know, do you uh, do you make that something that you're conscious of in every conversation that you have? Uh, do you guys do role playing exercises where you can actually practice this in a game like situation? And we break it down, and they they get to realize that listening is so important to to being effective in sales that it's something that we all have to practice. And you know, generally speaking, most people prefer talking over listening. So we usually get plenty of practice talking, uh, especially in sales. We all need more practice listening. And that's just an example of how you can apply one of the basic fundamentals to a specific area of business. You know, I love that. Um, one of the, uh, we have this, you know, high performance team challenge our company does for like, you know, eight months with different teams, right? And part of it helping managers try to like invite higher performance from their staff is that active listening thing you're talking about. And uh, a bunch of our stuff comes from like FBI hostage negotiators and counterintelligence agents. And they yeah. actually have a thing of, they call it 70, 30 listening. And they're literally auditing themselves repeatedly. Like, have I been talking more than 30% of this conversation? And, and it's like one of the exercises we make people work on is like, 
just asking yourself that during the conversation. And if we haven't, like what kind of open-ended question can I ask next to try to get that ratio back to 70-30 before this conversation is over? And it's a lot. Like we put senior executives, very wealthy individuals, some of the owners, some of these companies, and they hear about the challenge. They hear about that part of it and they think no big deal. And then inevitably, the higher up the food chain somebody is, that's the more likely it is they come back and go like, I thought that was going to be easy. I just wanted to jump in and tell them the answer the whole time. It was so hard for me <laughs> to bite my tongue. And I, I definitely didn't make 70-30 this time. I'm going to have to try that again. You know, I, I love that. And, and, and you're right. It is much more challenging than we think. Uh, because also when you start running uh, up the, as you just said, uh, and I love that, up the food chain, the higher up on the food chain – more than likely, you know, uh, the more experience you have, the more innovative ideas you have, you probably have the answers and solutions to a lot. You have a lot more uh, IP uh, that you want to share. That's one of the reasons you're at the top of the food chain. So yeah, it can it can actually be uh, a very big challenge to be able to sit back and listen. And I love the way that that you just described that that seventy thirty rule and, and constantly recalibrating that. Uh, would almost be akin to that's kind of a drill that a basketball player would do on the court. That's something tangible that you can actually work on to monitor your progress. Uh, another one I do in the listening space uh, is what's called a list back. And a list back is when uh, when there's a break in the conversation, because you know, if you're actively listening, you don't want to interrupt someone. But when there's a break, you list back in the speaker's words exactly what they said. Uh, if you noticed, very similar to what I just did. You know, I wanted to use your terminology uh, and, and your vernacular of up the food chain uh, to make sure that you know that I'm listening. Uh, now, this will do a couple things. When you list back in the speaker's words, uh, for example, I would say something to the effect of, uh, Jess, I want to make sure I heard you correctly. Uh, you just said A, B, and C. Is that right? And this does a few things. One, it, it can make sure that I uh, affirm that I heard you correctly and that I have the, pro you know, the right information. So there's going to be an accuracy component. But more important than that, it sends you an unconscious message that I'm actively listening to you and that the unconscious message is that I care about you and that I value what you have to say and that, that I'm going to invest the most precious resource I have, which is my attention in the present moment, to whatever it is that you're sharing with me now. And that showing you I care unconsciously is a glue that will strengthen any human connection. So uh, this is why it will help you improve sales because the prospect knows you really care about them and finding a solution to their problem. Uh, it's also imperative to do, you know, be an active listener as a leader because you're showing your people how much you care and that you want to hear from them. So I think if, if groups and leaders and, and sales professionals would take the 70-30 rule, if they would practice using a list back, if they would do these things uh, more often and more formally, they would absolutely improve their ability to actively listen. And then everything else will go up by default. You know, I'm, I'm really interested in, um, you know, I know we're about done with part one of the interview. We're going to have to hear more about Kevin Durant and some other people in, in part two here. But um, as, you've, as you've observed these world-class athletes and, and people playing at the highest level. Um, you know, I think that the movies and, and maybe just people's assumptions are that there's a lot of those, uh, you know, football halftime speeches where the coach is showing up and telling everybody how it's going to be. But when I read books and I hear about, you know, whether it's the coach at the, at the Spurs or like the John Wooden stories, 
I hear a lot about listening um, and and kind of like small amounts of consistent feedback instead of, you know, big, you know, fist pumping speeches. I, I'm interested just because it's it's not a theory for you. You've actually observed it. What do you think it is about people who are growing high performance teams like what do you think it is about that connection of knowing you got heard like if somebody does a list back like that why is that why is that so something that stands out enough that people are writing about it why do you think it's uncommon or what do you think it does well the the most basic component of any human relationship uh personal or professional uh, is going to be trust and is going to be caring i mean those things go hand in hand so for anyone to be an effective leader uh, they have to earn and establish trust and their people have to know that they care about them. Uh, this would be true from coach to player, player to coach, player to player, coach to coach. And then, of course, you know, we can extrapolate that to any business setting, you know, from CEO to employee to manager. Uh, those things are, are foundational. And what active listening does is it heightens both of those. I mean, you, you earn the ability uh, to become more trustworthy and to create a deeper connection simply through listening. So the listening is where the gold is. And, you know, I, I had a sales mentor one time tell me that telling is not selling. Uh, and, of course, you know, that's catchy and sticky because it rhymes. Uh, but realize, too, that in any position, all of us are selling something. Um, if we're not selling a product or service, we're selling our ideas. We're selling our, our beliefs. We're selling our convictions. You know, a leader is selling the culture and purpose of the company. Uh, so we're all selling, once again, in air quotes, something. And we have to realize that listening is the best glue in order to do that. Um, so any good coach, any good player is going to constantly ask question after question to get more insight. Uh, going back to that, that sales component, you know, more times than not, instead of an answer, you should always follow up with another insightful question. And what I have learned from some of the world's best sales professionals, you should never have to convince anyone to buy anything. If you ask them the right questions and they're the right fit, they'll convince themselves. And, and I think that's really, really important. And it's the same thing from coaching. So I'll give you two different examples. Um, uh, a very average coach, if we're in the middle of practice and let's say I'm the coach and you're my player uh, and there's a little scrimmage situation and you make a bad pass and turn the ball over. An average coach will stop practice and say, Jess, you just made the wrong pass. Instead of passing it to him, you should have passed it over here to him. All right, guys, keep going. Uh, a better coach or an, an elite level coach will stop and say, okay, Jess, uh, you just turned the ball over on that. Uh, I want to ask you, what were you seeing? Uh, why do you think at that time that was the best pass to make? You know, I mean, clearly, I don't think you tried to turn the ball over. So clearly at that moment, you thought that was the best decision. And in hindsight, it wasn't. So a good coach is going to ask questions to unpack that and say, OK, why did you think that was the right pass at that time? What is it that you were seeing? And then most importantly, now that you have hindsight and see that it wasn't the best pass, what's a different decision that you could have or should have made to get a better result? And by doing that, now I'm asking for your input. Uh, I'm trying to see the world through your lens, which is ultimately the definition of empathy. And it's going to be a much stronger learning situation because now you're forced to share what you saw and what you did and the decision you made as well as explore some other options. Um, so uh, that's going to be a much, uh, a much stickier situation and a much better learning environment doing it that way. Um, and then on the business side, I mean, I'll, I'll just use myself as an example. Um, and, and this isn't, 
this isn't trying to trick anyone or manipulate anyone. This is simply trying to make sure that whatever you're selling is the best fit. Uh, if I get an online inquiry for someone that is interested in exploring having me speak to their company, um, one of the first questions I ask them is, you know, what is it about me that think that, you know, what is it about me that you think would be a good fit for your group or for your event? And, you know, if they're the ones that they found me maybe online or they saw me at another event and then they're the ones that proactively reached out and I ask them that question, ultimately they just start coming up with this real long list of why they think I would be perfect for their event. And, you know, I, I say this with a little bit of a smile, you know, at the end of their, their, their little monologue, I mean, the deal's almost done. They've basically just convinced me that I'm a good fit for their event. I don't even have to try to sell them or say, you know, hey, I have a Kobe Bryant story or, hey, I've worked with Pepsi or Starbucks. I just say, what makes you think I'd be a good fit? And sometimes they go on for two or three minutes saying why I'm the perfect fit for them. And then when it's done, I just say, wow, I, I think I would be a great fit as well. Let's make this happen. Uh, and it all just comes from asking these, these questions. So whether on the court or, or, or in the boardroom, Asking insightful questions, actively listening uh, is going to be the foundation to, to leadership, to sales, and to coaching. I love it. Well, everybody, uh, please tune back into part two. We're going to ask Alan some more questions about some of these world-class performers that, that he's worked with over his career. And uh, please go to raiseyourgamebook.com and check out his new book. Thanks, everybody.